0: I'm absolutely convinced that all men, including you and I, have hidden potential that's not been tapped into. The team and I have designed a quiz for you to work out what that could be, and there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end, but for now, enjoy the episode.
1: So Alex, this is another Alex I've just met outside. He wants to meet you. Can he have a quick chat with you? And he literally just took me, plonked me on his knee whilst the Addies kind of roast lunch in front of him and started to chat away.
0: Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. At the school I went to, Heske Fletcher in Atherton, revising was seen as a bad thing. You were considered a SWAT or a geek if you tried too hard in class. But what was the impact of that mentality? Today I'm speaking to an old school friend to find out.
1: For all intents and purposes, I was probably a little little scally. I was short back and sides, my tracksuits on and cheap Nike Astro trainers.
0: That was Alex at eight years old. He grew up in the same town as me, Atherton in Greater Manchester. And like me, he was obsessed with football, Manchester United to be specific. This was the mid-90s. We're talking the era of heroes like Eric Cantona and Roy Keane, all under the watchful eye of legendary manager Alex Ferguson.
1: My life was that team then. We didn't have a cable or anything like that, so I used to just stay up and listen to every match on the radio.
0: One night in the summer of 1996, rumours were flying around that Alex Ferguson was going to be in the local community hall. Little Alex was sceptical but he convinced his dad to take him down to the hall to check it out anyway.
1: When we arrived, I remember it was kind of dusk then. I remember just keep looking over, looking over at the doors, just seeing if anything was going on. Now you could see that the lights were on, so there was something going on. And then all of a sudden, door flung open, and this guy comes out. And I recognized him straight away, this guy, a guy called Elton Wellsby. He was the guy that that was the presenter on Granada Sports on ITV. When you'd be having your tea and watching the news, he would present the local scores and updates and anything sporty, really. He was having a cigarette outside. I remember wandering over and saying, is Alex Ferguson inside? And he kind of smirked at me and said, yeah, he is. Would you like to see him? And I was just like, yeah. So he said right give me a second and then you can come in with me so then elton took me in and i just remember walking in and there was tables and tables full of blokes sat tucking into the dinner and right in the middle bang in the middle was alex ferguson and i remember walking through the room and everyone was like looking as if to say what the hell's going on here elton Wellesby took me all the way up to him said so Alex, this is another Alex I've just met outside, he wants to meet you, can he have a quick chat with you? And he literally just took me, plonked me on his knee, whilst he had his kind of roast lunch in front of him, and started to chat away. So he went straight into asking me like, did I like football obviously, and who my favourite players were? And I remember saying, Gary's my favourite player, and he, he kind of laughed at that and said, well, Gary's worked hard, you know, and is. Here, where he is today because of how much effort he's put in and how much patience he's had and how he's had a few knocks but he's practiced and practiced and then I remember him saying so what what is it you want to do when you're older and I said I, I want to be a footballer that's all I, all I want to do and he kind of said well to be a footballer you, you've got to be lucky you've got to have the talent you've got to practice you've got to work hard but even then there's only a very small chance that you might ever become a footballer. But all that aside, all of those that have work, that practice, that trying your best in everything you do, no matter what your talent is, that's what you, you need to do. You find your own talent. You find what, what it is you're good at and you invest all of that effort in that. And that's where you'll get to where you want to be. How did that
0: influence how you approach things at school?
1: So then after that, I, I basically took on board what Alex Ferguson said. But it was still very, very football-focused at, at, at that stage. And don't get me wrong, I tried and tried. But over the next couple of years, I realised that that's probably not where I'm going to make my riches by any means. So it was then, well, what what am I good at? End of primary school leading into secondary school was probably the first point I realised, actually, I'm quite clever now it sounds cheesy it makes me a bit sick saying that but i actually started realizing i was quite clever and probably one of the cleverest in the class that theme was the same when i kind of arrived at high school but it wasn't cool or welcomed or celebrated to be one of the smart ones so you had to play it quite carefully still loved football still loved boisterous things but I knew that probably my talent was in the academics, really. And it was like, right, well, that's where my talent is. And I need to work hard. I need to practice. I need to put the effort in. But navigating that in a. In a school where it was probably. Run like a dictatorship, particularly amongst the kids. it was quite violent bullying at points. And, and I think thankfully I, I wasn't at the end of it, but I remember kids who just spiked their hair up for one day because they didn't have a completely shaven head or short back and sides would be kind of targeted in the playground so you try and harness being kind of intelligent and academic in that kind of environment where all that nonsense is going on day in day out it was quite quite difficult i'd say so i had to do it but i had to at the same time kind of Disguise it from my peers, my, my, my pals. I also did a lot of messing about at school in the classes where I was probably less, less infused, a bit bored. Um, and that helped to disguise actually what I was, how hard I was trying in the background as well. And I remember coming up to then year 10, year 11, so I'm 14, 15 then. And your GCSEs are coming up, which are your big exams you take at the end of your your kind of compulsory years of education in the UK. And I had to just like map out, right, I've got two months now until exams, eight weeks. I need to get my head down and learn some of this stuff, put the effort in and make sure I smash these exams so I can go on to college, hopefully go on to university, Still didn't have a clue what I wanted to do at that point in time, but just to do something, just to make 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 something out of um, out of my academics, and uh, I just remember then kind of almost clearing the play. I'd, I'd still go playing football. I still go knocking around with my mates, but I remember lads would come and just they'd hear that I was inside revising, and I remember I'm smirking now, but I remember stones being thrown at the bedroom window. And, people shouting, reviser, he's revising. And then they'd leave me alone for a bit and I'd be like, right, thank God they've disappeared. And then I remember it again, you'd wait another hour and then stones would ping or there'd be knocks on the door. Or the house was set up that people could just wander in the back and let themselves in the house. My mum and dad weren't really bothered by things like that. And you'd just hear the same people just trying the best to get me out into to doing whatever daft things they were up to. But I managed to just kind of keep my head down, still play the game and keep it in the background, still obviously enjoy myself with my friends because that's important, but then do kind of well in my exams, really well. Went on to um to sixth form, university, law school, training contracts, and the career's kind of progressed since then. So then fast track, Fifteen years or so from then, and I've worked my ass off really, and that's that's culminated in, in becoming a partner at a, a law firm in the UK. But it's those kind of words from Charles Ferguson that it kind of it doesn't matter what it is you're good at, put the effort in, practice, work hard, be self-disciplined, get it what it is that you 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 need to. No one's going to really help you get that. You can have support networks in place, but unless you adopt all of those traits, you're not going to go very far in whatever it is that you do.
0: How do you think your life would have been different as a man if you'd not met Alex Ferguson that day in 1996?
1: I think I would have probably adopted a narrower view of, of what it is to be successful and how I was going to generate that success. I was that convinced in my head as an eight-year-old boy, sadly now, that I was going to be a footballer. I remember the only thing I was worried about at certain points was whether the ball was going to be too hard to head and score goals with. And I felt like that because I was tiny as a kid. I was absolutely tiny. And I think if I'd have adopted that mindset that, right, if football falls away, there's nothing left, then I'd have probably destined my life for a series of kind of letdowns and failures rather than thinking to myself, what is it you're good at? What is it you're good at, but you also enjoy outside of necessarily the thing you most enjoy? And that takes time, especially when it's a thing that isn't celebrated amongst your your peer group. So being clever was was almost tragic. It's seen as being sad and tragic with with certain groups. The main groups, I'd say, at the the kind of type, types of schools I'm sure it's the same now up and down the the country so it's kind of then harnessing that in the background while still being a bit of a lad and manking about with your mates and playing football and doing some other things that you enjoy more but just keeping maintaining that focus on right this is the start now if I focus and concentrate and work hard on my academics that's going to lead to something else and you don't necessarily, and I think it's fine, that different parts, parts of your life, you don't necessarily know what that something else is. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because then over time, you start kind of harnessing that enthusiasm, that talent, that intelligence, and you get better and you get more kind of attuned to where you want to be and where you need to be.
0: Well, I think back to school days. So you and I went to Hesker Fletcher High School in Atherton, which subsequently closed down probably about 10 years after we left. So we left in 2003, but I felt like when we were at school, you didn't want to stand out in any way. And the only way you could stand out was if, you, if through athletic endeavor, whether it was boxing, whether it was football. You didn't want to be a misfit. You wanted to fit right in. And I think that was the difficulty for you because you don't want to stand out for your academic achievements, like you said, because it wasn't celebrated and because people would instantly label you are, ah, you're a SWAT, you're a geek. And I think that is an issue. It wasn't just at Esker Fletcher. It was all the schools in the area, all of that working class schools as well
1: that's absolutely kind of nail on the head. I was embarrassed more than anything. So if I got top grades on anything, and particularly as you got towards the end of school and you started winning awards for certain subjects and things like that, it, was, it, 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 it wasn't it was nice to win those awards, but it's like, well, that should surely be celebrated. And it's the mindset of, I'd say not only the the kids, but some of the kind of teachers, it was almost not celebrated. I mean, there was, there was a mixed bag, I remember, at school of teachers that would kind of harness anyone with that kind of academic discipline. And there was teachers that, if as an ancillary to that discipline, people got bored easier or were maybe a bit cheeky or, maybe a bit more challenging rather than kind of bringing that on would just try and push it in a corner and i i remember there were certain teachers that would literally as soon as i did anything i was out i was going sat sat in set eight next door um with another teacher listening to another class that was completely irrelevant to what i was doing because the teacher couldn't be bothered there was like teachers I'd had from being 11 years old to 15, 16 that I played up for. And it was literally to impress the lads, impress the girls, probably almost like a smoke screen to distract that actually in the background, I'm doing, doing what I need to do. And at home, I'm doing the bloody homework. And the teaching, the history syllabus or English syllabus, I know it inside out, not because I've absorbed it in this lesson because I've took the basis from this lesson and I've worked on it and fleshed it out by myself in the background. But if I'd have been focusing more in the, the lesson, I wouldn't have had to do do that self-learning probably as hard. But I then on the same same note, I probably would because if it wasn't me or a handful of other idiots doing it, it would have been another set of idiots disrupting the class and spoiling things. And I I, and it's I feel embarrassed really that I was like that because I was probably quite difficult as a student for the majority of teachers, other than the ones who would probably look back on now and would say we're at the top of the game and took the challenging kids in, looked at their own unique personalities and adapted ways of actually harnessing talents in a way that didn't embarrass them. Amongst the peer group, or overly celebrate what they were good at in a way that was going to kind of embarrass them, make them look like a geek a swat so but there were only a handful of that, and you think, well why is that? because obviously schools at a certain level can't afford the best teachers, they've not got the budget for the best teachers. if you're a best teacher, why would you necessarily be messing about at a school where all that nonsense is going on you, you you wouldn't but then there are different levels of of behavior so although kind of my behavior could have been much much better as a as a youngster a lot of that would boredom, and I'd, I, I would hope and I would uh, I'm still confident there wasn't any nastiness to it there wasn't any it was more playing the class car and winding people up
0: I remember a teacher called mrs green who said to me in year nine, Alex, you've got a a talent for religious education for RE. I think you should pursue that at college and then then at university. And I just remember thinking, there's no chance in hell I would ever do RE. I just thought about the lack of approval, the piss taking, I suppose, from friends that actually going down that particular pursuit. So there are certain subjects as well that you didn't necessarily want to choose because you thought that you'd have the the piss taken out of you. We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show.
1: When you came to your options, going into your GCSEs, you could choose, I think it was three, two or three subjects. And alongside sport, I was really passionate with my art, artwork, and how always had been from being a kid. I was quite talented, but I remember taking the class and there was probably five or six males out of 30 or so kids. And that was one where, especially when you had, you used to have your big kind of A, A4, A5, transparent, kind of um, folder to hold your artwork. You had no locker, so you had to carry your artwork round. And when you were in the yard, you'd have to prop up your artwork in a corner where it was going to get damaged. The abuse you used to get when people would see that you'd drawn all of these teapots and flowers and things like that was phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal, like phenomenal abuse. And I loved that, those classes. I absolutely loved them. And going back, if I had hindsight, I'd have maybe gone down more of that design, artistic route as a career path, potentially. But I think the prejudice that we were kind of surrounded by put me off that line. And it sadly, it did. It, now, in the long run, it's not proven a bad thing because I've managed to... to to build kind of a successful career path, thankfully. But it was certainly more the kind of peer group pressures that put me off doing something I really enjoyed, sadly. It's the mindset I think that kind of needs to change where you talk about the wittiness, the social approval. If that could all be kind of infused into something more positive as part of the education system, looking up to kind of peers that aren't necessarily solely built around bravado and money and materials, then it feels like that's where we need to change so that people can just appreciate people's talents in the right environment, looking up to the right people in a way where they can progress on and contribute to society in a balanced way, doing what they're interested in, what they like, what they're good at, without feeling like they have to do one certain thing or act in a certain way just to kind of fit in the people that are in the positions of influence kind of applying the right tips to the youngsters around what it means to be successful in terms of working hard, the patience, being nice, being decent people. The people that have impressed me in the way they've brought kind of certain almost political issues into play, but to try and, pave the way for better is it seems like paddy the baddy the ufc fighter tom aspinall is ufc fighter local lad from Aberton. You, you see some of his clips and it's all around working hard respecting your opponent self-discipline those kind of skills they resonate if you can apply those in whatever it is you're doing that that's excellent but then sadly it, it seems like the more powerful people are getting and especially the ones on the highest platform to improve people's mentality, to give them the right levels of discipline, to show them what's right and wrong. I have to say it, I, and I, I'll, I'll wait until I've seen it the, the Ronaldo documentary, which is upcoming. But some of the behavior recently is the opposite of those things, and it's sad to see. It's sad to see from someone who is arguably the, the, arguably the most influential footballer on the planet to be. Essentially throwing his toys out of the pram and then promoting how acceptable that is days before a World Cup tournament, especially as a Man United fan, that's that's sad because Ronaldo, in particular, going back a few years, was all focused on those positive aspects, and now the platform is being used. We'll see. We'll see what the interview is like. And like I said, I res- hold comment, but not in a fully positive way those people that have worked hard and and they're in a position of power really to to promote all this positivism and just this balanced way of thinking and reasonableness what it means to work hard what it means to be respectful yeah from my point of view that's what it feels like society society needs really just all of those things that ultimately can then go back move to what we were saying before about kind of pretending to, to not revise etc i when i was in my last year at school
0: so this was two this was 2003 i was kind of having this do i want to be one of the one of the lads who just doesn't do much revision or do i want to really try hard and excel and i all the rumblings from, from our group were, oh, I'm not studying, I'm not revising. But you're all in the the top sets. And I, I smelt bullshit. I, I thought, nah, they're definitely they're definitely at home revising and studying. But I do remember there was Wigan and Lee College that was an option after school. And then there was Winstanley. And Stanley was, you know, top 10 in the country. It was a very high performing college. And I just thought, there's no way I'm going to Get into that, uh, that college, you know, you needed A's and, and B's, and I was projected to get B's and C's. And I remember Paul Kenyon's mother, Paula, who was one of the teachers, IT teachers at school, she said, That's all bullshit. I absolutely know they're revising. Just forget what they're saying and just focus on yourself. She kind of just confirmed it to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I need to focus on myself at this point. So it was interesting, this whole keeping this stuff to yourself, not wanting to seem like that you're, you're, a SWOT or a geek or whatever, which I think those kinds of labels are not helpful whatsoever. They de- definitely hinder people from actually working hard and, and striving to get good GCSE grades.
1: Yeah. And as sad as it is, and painting into this kind of narrative of of doing all you can to disguise the fact that you are clever, sadly, that that option of going to Wigan Lee College versus Winstanley where you needed to have the top grades, was seen as more of a kind of elitist college. I kicked and padded that I had to go to Winstanley at first, whereas, like, I'm not going to Winstanley. It's just full of geeks, like, swats, nerds. I don't want to go to that place. And I went, and the group of friends that I met there, I'm still kind of best friends with now, like, almost 20 years on. The platform it gave me, I mean, a few, like a year and a half being there, they propelled me to go into Oxbridge for interviews and things like that. And it's just like that helped me to kick on to then going to uni and actually thinking, right, what am I What am I good at? Or what do I like necessarily? And actually then choosing law at university and taking it on from there. But at one point I wasn't gonna go because it was seen as like too nerdy. And that is, looking back, is ridiculous. As a concept, that is ridiculous. But that just kind of shows what it was like, really.
0: Yeah. And I remember being almost angry for you. I remember you got three or four A's across the board. You applied for six universities, but you only got into one, which was Newcastle. And even, you know, the home city, Manchester, University of Manchester didn't accept you. You went to Cambridge, they didn't accept you. You went down for the interviews and all that. And... There's kind of this cynical side of me that thinks it's because of the background that you're from, the working class background. And to kind of highlight it even further of your academic achievements, I remember when you, I think your mum put it in the Lee Reporter or something that you'd got, you were awarded a first class honours degree for law at Newcastle University. And you're one of only two or three people out of the whole degree who got that first. I suppose it just infuriated me to think that Coming from the background that we come from, you're not acknowledged. You're not able to get into those higher, you know, those higher institutions.
1: You'd have to think that if you'd got multiple A stars, A's throughout, that you'd be prime candidate for these universities, and to not get any but one. I mean, it feels like it's not a coincidence. You know, you might be wrong, and and from all accounts, when I read the press, certainly in the the university system has changed its perception is all focused on social mobility to a point where there's there's certain pockets of society claiming there's some kind of reverse prejudice going on and um, where people from kind of more privileged backgrounds aren't necessarily getting the places they deserve and whatnot and I, ha- and I, and I, I genuinely hope that is not the case but those platforms should be neutral no matter your gender, your sex, your ethnicity, your culture, your background. If you're intelligent and you've got the right attributes, they are your platform for succeeding, really. And you would hope that the prejudice within them is diminishing as we become more aware of of these issues. And I, I probably think it is, but then naturally the fees that are increasing and continue to rise indirectly create a prejudice from the outset so that's a problem and you compare that to other countries particularly in kind of Scandinavia where there's a lot of free education at that level the society the economy is absolutely thriving to one where people are having to pay thousands before they've even got into the door and now there are strikes going on that's a's got to be a concern. And I don't know how they're going to kind of ride these these issues, really. But it feels like prejudice at all levels. Looking at the initial criteria to get in from a funding perspective needs to be looked at.
0: Hmm. Well, when we went to university, it was eleven hundred pound a year. Then it went to three thousand, and now it's at nine nine thousand. It's kind of veering its way more towards the US education system. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it starts to get to that point. You know, in the Boston. Boston College, Harvard, Yale—all those Ivy League schools—you're paying forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. So I wouldn't be surprised if it does get to that point. And for people from our background, how do you actually? How, how does that become viable? How can you actually afford that kind of stuff?
1: It doesn't. That—that's—that it doesn't become viable even at eleven hundred pounds. So we were the last of the so-called cheap intake, I would say. Um, fast track to what 2020 maybe so 12 or so years after leaving university having paved a kind of legal career path i've only just paid off the debt at that level
0: that's crazy i didn't realize that last thing i wanted to mention today is i find it fascinating that you were such an outlier from school i don't think we would destined for very much coming from the school that we did, one of the lowest performing schools in Wigan. But I'm curious, what made you stand out compared to everyone else? Why Why are you a partner at a law firm now when someone else from that school might be unemployed? And obviously, we know people who've been to prison or who are still in prison from that school as well.
1: Mm. Your family has got a lot to do with it. If your family is giving you that support platform, even if they've not got any kind of necessarily direct experience in university and things like that, as long as they're encouraging, as encouraging as they can be and as helpful as they can be, then that that that's a key, a key component. And it's the hard work, the self discipline, touching back to the kind of original story is absolutely key because no one's gonna do this stuff for you. You don't just jump to getting good grades through education, landing a career doing law in the first place. So then working your way up to being a partner by blagging it, it's just not a society, like times are too tough, there's too much competition out there. But then also harness the skills from your background, just because you come from a kind of working class background, that's brilliant. In some senses, the way you kind of interact and apply the right pressure in the work I do, can really kind of bring to fruition some positive outcomes for you and your clients because you can almost spot spot through some of the bullshit a bit quicker at points you can navigate the slippier characters a bit a bit quicker you can get those slippery characters on your side where by just being a bit kind of wiser and i'm not sure i would have Necessarily be able to do that if you weren't playing those games of disguising what it is you're doing in a school where people are getting beat up and selling drugs and all of this stuff day to day. That school at the end of the day, that was the first kind of start to my academic career. I know people were throwing stones at windows and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of these people I'm still friends with now, and there's a tongue in cheek to a lot of that. Like it was like, it will let you know we think you're a nerd, but We have a pint now, and we kind of accept it, and we're happy that you've done well. People you've not seen for the years, it feels like sometimes you see them and you get treated with a bit of suspicion, or they don't quite know who you are, they forget that you're the same lad who knocking about, messing about, playing the class clown years ago. You're still that person inside, you've just kind of progressed, you've kicked on, you've adapted, um, you've challenged yourself.
0: It was great to hear this story from Alex about meeting Sir Alex Ferguson many, many years ago. I was also very fortunate to meet Sir Alex Ferguson myself. I remember walking through the Trafford Centre in Manchester with my parents and he was doing a book signing at Books Etc. And I remember going in there, buying his book and going over to him to get his autograph and I couldn't think of anything else to say apart from, do you think we'll win the league this year? And he said, aye, we've got a strong chance. I won't do the Scottish accent, but I was just so thrilled to meet him and it was really inspiring so I can see why Alex was so inspired as well by meeting someone like him. And it's that impact that such a legendary figure like Sir Alex Ferguson can have on young kids like Alex and myself, because he just treated us with kindness and warmth. Alex and I talked about this idea of geeks and swats and being seen as that was just such a terrible thing. And this is something that needs to radically change in the education system if boys are going to excel and move away from this mentality that it's not cool to study and it's not cool to get an education. The gap in many areas of society is only getting bigger and you can see this with the financial gap between rich and poor that's getting ever wider year on year right now. So let's make sure that this doesn't happen in our education system because this can be the way that a poor person can get out of poverty. But if they're in a community of people that don't value education, they probably don't want to be seen as the outsider. They want to fit in and they'll probably do the same thing, unfortunately. The school that Alex and I went to closed down many years ago. And this could be due to many reasons, one of which was poor results. And a large proportion of those poor results at the school was from white working class boys, which from studies done are the worst performing group in the country, and this needs to drastically change. The fascinating thing for me is I've experienced both sides because I've gone through the education system in England as both a student and a substitute teacher in a few schools, but I've also seen what it's like working as an English teacher in Hong Kong and how they really glorify teachers, they glorify the education system. Studying was a cool thing to do. Many students were happy to tell other people that they'd spent a few hours studying in the evenings. They even have this kind of concept of celebrity teachers out there where some really famous teachers are on these huge 100-foot billboards in the center of Hong Kong and they are shown to be these positive role models in society, which is a, a massive difference with what we experience in the UK. I loved this conversation with Alex, as it was a chance for me to catch up with an old school friend who I've known for over 25 years to be able to talk about shared experiences and our experiences of what life was like going to the same school. There's a mutual understanding there from coming from the same background as we both do. I'll leave you with a quote from a guy called Ken Robinson who did a really famous TED talk called How Schools Kill Creativity. And it really struck a chord with me many years ago. If you ask people about their old school days, they pin you to the wall. It really runs deep with people. Before you go, let me tell you about our man test. The team and I created it with the belief that every man has hidden, untapped potential. And I want to help you discover what it could be. Let's face it, we've all got dreams and aspirations, but the stresses of life can get in the way. I know I've been there myself. As men, each one of us has skills and knowledge that sets us apart from the rest. It's about discovering what they are and making the most of them. The man test is simple, it takes less than 3 minutes and will help you discover your true strengths and talents by working out what kind of modern man you really are. Find the link in the show notes and take the man test today. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.